Welcome to Newsworthy with Norisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. Are we recording audio and visual or just, just audio? Do you know how a podcast works? Yep. So you're not a, a flawed cast or whatever they are? That's not a thing. That's a thing. No, it's, it's really not a thing. Friends, welcome back to the podcast, uh, the show, not the flaw, whatever. Anyway, AJ Swoboda is back on. AJ, welcome. <laughs> From uh, Asbury's wonderful campus in the city of Asbury, Connecticut. Uh, where is that? I don't know. Where are you? You, you fail. Uh, your geographical knowledge disturbs me. Uh, I'm in Wilmore, Kentucky at Asbury University and Seminary. Uh, a small vestige of Christendom in the heartland. What are you doing there? Are you trying to destroy it or something? Well, I'm here. I'm here telling a bunch of people that God loves them and that he wants them to take a day of rest a week. Really? So I'm here. And while we're on the subject, would you please say hi to your mom for me? Every time I see her, it's a treat. Now, I've only met her one time, but she... Uh, met me when I preached at Highland Church in Texas, mm-hmm. and she's really nice. I, she was super sweet, and she showed me some baby photos of you that no, she didn't. really hit a I special... I, no, my mom would not do that to me. If she's a sweet woman like you describe her, she would not do that. So yeah. I feel like you're making this up. What I do know about your trip to Texas is, one, you made up lies about my mother, Two is that you were told to go eat at a Waterburger, but you ended up at a Wiener Schnitzel instead. Mm-hmm. My problem is, is that, that because- you call it a Waterburger. A Waterburger. It's not a Waterburger. It's a what a burger or what a burger. Here's the thing. I don't eat there. I like. I know I live in Texas, but I don't. I don't eat there, and so I don't know how it's pronounced. Um, my question for you, though, is. I might be unable to pronounce it. Were you unable to read? Is that mm-hmm. how you ended up at the hot dog stand instead? Mm-hmm. You know, it too I'm, big of a. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I'm really ready to talk about this. I mean, what happened in Texas is in Texas, and it was it was a uh, it was a dark and stormy night, and I uh, mm-hmm. I was hungry, and I was on the road, and I was suffering to go preach at Jonathan Stormont's church, and. Mm-hmm. You getting in the middle of all this isn't helping anybody. Okay, all right. I didn't mean to bring that up. Well, you want to hear about my own dark night of the soul? Sure. Have you ever heard of the story about the man in the Bible who almost had to sacrifice his son? Have you ever heard of that story? Yes. Okay. So you know what happens is he sets out to do something that seems like a terrible thing. Mm-hmm. But in the end, God saves him from having to do the terrible thing. Familiar yeah. with that? Is this your way of saying you didn't read my book? No, no. Oh, okay. It had nothing to do with that. But the book hadn't come in the mail before the podcast. And so I thought I was going to have to actually buy a copy of the book myself. Yeah. And I prepared myself. I braced, I girded my loins. And just as I was about to put the credit card down and order, lo and behold, our friends at Baker delivered this book in the mail. Yep. So I, so I didn't have to buy it. The sovereign hand of the publisher. Yes. Thank you, Baker Publisher. I appreciate it's that. It's technically Brazos uh, Publishers, uh, which is a subsidiary of Baker. A division of Baker. Do you mm-hmm. feel like, as the Brazos wing of Baker, it's kind of like the, I don't want to say like the JV team, but like it's, the JV team? 
Brazos is the poor man's baker. It's mm. the it's the baker for the middle class. It's the normal man's baker. Okay. And so like if you were talking to an author for Baker, would you feel like insecure or that like you don't measure up? Is that how you would feel? Because I- I'm just wondering. I don't know. I think that's an appropriate question for the publisher. Hmm. Uh, I, and at the end of the day, uh, I, I can't say with confidence that I can speak to their emotional sort okay. of. Well, I was really more worried about your emotional because I want yeah. this to be a good conversation and I don't want you to have feelings like that. Yeah. Every time I'm on your show, I find myself walking away being sarcastic for like three weeks after we're done. I'd like Why? to talk about the book now. Is that possible? Why would you? I'm taking a Sabbath from talking about the book. Do you do you talk to all your guests this way? I don't know why it happens with you. I feel like you bring it out of me. I, I don't know. I you know, don't know. I, 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 no. I mean, you go back and listen. People had them last month. I don't feel like uh, any of them created the environment for sarcasm like you do. Okay. Erwin McManus, didn't, no sarcasm with him. Mm-hmm. No. What about when you had Dwight Schrute on? Um, honestly, I don't, I, I was a little bit sarcastic, but my impression was that Rain wanted, like when I talked to him before the podcast, very straightforward, no joking around, serious, normal, normal guy. When we got in front of the room, like there was some banter, but I think he wanted to have a serious conversation. So he wasn't uh, being Dwight. He was just being Rain. Yeah. Yeah. So in you, you trump actual comedians, hmm. sarcasm. Hmm. Pete Holmes, you're more sarcastic. Hmm. 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 Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna process this with my counselor. See, okay. see what we can do. Okay. I've got a question for you. How many yep. words is this book? Um, I think it's eighty thousand. Eighty. Eighty thousand. Do you think eighty, eighty, eighty bones? Eighty, 80, 80 thousand. Yep. Which, first of all, I'm impressed. Like that's a lot of words. Do you feel like maybe it could have been reduced to like? Like three, like, hey, just chill. Like, would that have worked for a book on Sabbath? Hey, just chill. It would have. The Seventh-day Adventists would have gotten angry. I, I mean, I, I could have, I could have made, yeah, I could have just, I could have retweeted, you know, like Thomas Merton, who just said, that's, stop it. I could have, but mm-hmm. I didn't. That's and what, That's what I do, just retweet Merton stuff. Yeah, I could have done that, but I didn't do it, did I, Luke? That's not what I did. You did 80,000 Merton tweets. That turned yeah. into a book, <laughs> which is really, I'm going to be real honest with you. And I told you this off mic. If someone's like, Hey, I need a book to give, like, I need to understand Sabbath or I'm going to do a teaching on Sabbath or I'm going to experience it. Like y- you got it all in there. There's a lot like mm-hmm. from the, like the very basics to even like praying for your chickens, which mm-hmm. I didn't think that's something I would have found in a book on Sabbath. Yep. Well, in all truthfulness, uh, Luke, all, all joking aside, this book is exhaustive and, and exhaustive in the sense that uh, it does cover a lot of topics as they relate to, to the Sabbath. But it, I have discovered that throughout the Bible, there's really not a lot that the Sabbath doesn't touch on. So, hmm. I, I mean, at the end of the day, I do hope that the expansive nature of this book uh, does justice to what the Bible does regarding Sabbath, because it does affect everything. It affects uh, our health, our well-being. It affects the poor. It affects the animals, creation, the land. It affects just about everything. Now, for some of us, we think of Sabbath as, okay, I just need to 
like to chill more and to Saturday just stay at home and watch football and not not do so much work. I don't need to bring my computer home from the office. That's what Sabbath is to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Why is it and, more and, than just that? Yeah, it, it turns out it turns out it, yeah, it's a little bit more than that. Um, b- largely because of the intent behind the whole thing. And you know, the the, the truth of the matter is that the, the Sabbath is you, you can't get out of the first week of creation without this idea of the Sabbath being being built in. And, and the Sabbath really uh, has this grander narrative with a, an intent to draw. Uh, humanity back to to God, and it it transcends watching football. It transcends all the, all that stuff. And the hope would be that when we actually take a day of rest and deal with God, it's like we're back in the Garden of Eden. Hmm. Okay. Let's start with the first story in the book. Turns out that your grandparents mm-hmm. won the lottery. They literally won the lottery when you became their grandchild. Yeah. And they won it a second time. <laughs> at a convenience store and they literally won four million dollars is it yeah, four four point four point three million dollars yeah this was when i was a kid i was 10 years old this is the opening story of the book my book subversive sabbath this is the opening story in that book um yeah it's the, the when i was a kid my grandparents were driving to up from washington to come see my mom and i and one this crazy amount of money at a little convenience store and i tell that story uh really with the the point in mind that when you look at people that, that win the lottery, there's actually a really dark side to the whole lottery yeah. thing. And there's documentaries about this, that uh, it, it, I mean, murder rates skyrocket, people get divorced. I mean, just people can't deal with it. And the, the really sad part about this, this lottery was that get in any regards it destroyed my grandparents' marriage. I mean, they got divorced over it after 50 years of marriage, um, a really heartbreaking story. And I, I tell that story because uh, that's what we do with the Sabbath. I mean, the Sabbath is a gift we have no idea what to do with. We start whole denominations arguing over the Sabbath. We um, split churches over disagreements about the Sabbath. We, it is such a grand and magnificent gift, we have no idea what to do with it. And this book seeks to set out for us an approach where we can incorporate the gift of God of the Sabbath into our life in a way that really God as desired. Okay. So I want to start doing Sabbath. This is me metaphorically. And I think your metaphor of we don't want to elope for Sabbath, but we want to prepare for the wedding. It gives us a Mm -hmm. groundwork that it's not just something that you rush off and go to Vegas and do, Yes, but it's something that you have to be prepared for. So I'm deciding, I read your book. I'm going to try Sabbath for the very first time. What is, what's the first thing I have to do? Yeah. Well, two, two things that immediately come to mind, just as w- by way of observation. Number one, I've never met anybody who used to Sabbath. Um, n- I've never met anybody who used to do it, and now they don't. Um, it is, it's pretty life-giving. I mean, once you start doing it, you don't go back. Secondly, I've never met anybody who accidentally Sabbathed. I've never met anybody who sort of woke up in the morning. I mean, if you're an American... Uh, not presuming that your audience is all American, but but presuming you. that you are an American, um, you transcend nationality. I recognize that's, that's very true. your your voice. <laughs> I've I've never met anybody who you know as Americans, nobody just wakes up in the morning and rests. I mean, it is you have to be so crazy intentional if you're going to rest in our culture, and 
you know, the Jews figured this one out. They, they had a whole day called, the, they have a whole day called the day, the day of preparation, which is that it takes a whole day to get ready for the Sabbath. And, you know, there's a certain sense of irony that, that comes from that. And that is that rest requires a lot of work. It takes a lot of work to rest. You don't just do it. Okay, so what, and, what does that work? Like, what, do, what would you yeah. describe? Yeah, well, you've got to start thinking through what that's going to look like. So you've got to start thinking through things like this. What day are you going to take a day of rest? Um, I, I argue in my book very strongly that the day is not what matters. It doesn't matter if it's Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. The day is not what matters. I argue that out of Paul at the end of Colossians where he says, don't bicker about what day the Sabbath is. Don't bicker about the, the, the new moon and so on and so forth. So you've got to figure out what day it is. And for example, if you're a pastor, I'm going to say Sunday is probably not the best option because there's never been a day in human history, in Christian history, where a pastor's finished a day on Sunday, gone home and gone, well, that was a refreshing experience. I mean, it's usually pretty terrifying anxiety-ridden experience, so it's not going to be Sunday. First of all, I love my church, and they are life-giving to me. I don't see them as a chore, Mm -hmm. but carry on with your other hypothetical pastor. Anyways, so... uh, yeah, so Sunday, I, I, for me, apparently for me, uh, who, who is involved in the lives of the people in this community, I, uh, uh, Sunday is not a good day to rest. So my family and okay, I, so- we identified Saturday. Now, your question is, what, what do we start to do? You got to start thinking about things like, well, what day is it going to be? And then once that's been identified, you got to start thinking about things like, what do you need to finish in order for you to be able to enter into that rest? What are the things that get in the way? So as a pastor, again, I'll draw this out. If I'm going to take a day of rest, I need to think through things like, well, what happens if there's an emergency on Saturday? Who is there to care for people in the community? Uh, how can I set up my auto reply so people know that I'm not available on that day? At the end of the day, Luke, the goal is that you got to start being intentional about knowing what you need to do to protect that Sabbath day. In fact, that language of keep the Sabbath holy, uh, Abram Heschel in his brilliant book on the Sabbath says that keeping something uh, harkens back to when a woman would save herself to protect her sexuality for her marriage. I mean, there's a sense of protecting the Sabbath day, guarding it, protecting it, putting a fence around it and saying, I've got to be intentional about this thing. Yeah. Some people think about making the Sabbath holy. You talk about keeping it holy instead, right? Nobody, if, if you're a Christian, you don't make anything holy. You're, you, you, you and I don't make anything holy. All we do is we, God is, holiness is derivative of God. So that's why the text uh, in Exodus 20, it, the text always says, keep the Sabbath holy. You don't get to make it holy. All you get to do is enter into it. Okay, so I'm going to keep, let's go Saturday, I, Friday for me. Okay. But l- let me do, we'll do mine. We'll do Friday. I'm going to keep Friday holy, and I'm going to think, okay, this is what I don't want to have anything to do. I want to have all my work done. My sermon's going to be done for Sunday. All my responsibilities for the week have been completed. I've got kids. They've got to go to school. Am I allowed to drive? Do I have to be Amish? Do I have to just walk them to school? Or what do I, uh, hmm. what do I need to do about that? Yeah, I don't articulate uh, a neo-Amish approach in this book. I don't, I don't believe that, that you need to stop driving. Um, but there may be people in which driving needs to be something that you don't do. For example, if you're an Uber driver, uh, that's normally work for you. And I would imagine that you'd like a day where you don't have to drive. So what, what, you know, this, you're getting at the heart of, well, what is work and what is rest? And, 
Uh, work should be defined as that which we do all week long in the sense of productivity. What are we doing that is, is working the land? What are we doing that is productive? What are we doing uh, that creates? And the goal would be that the day of rest is the day where we do the opposite. The, the Sabbath is opposite day. It's the day that you do the opposite of what you would normally mm-hmm. do. I heard Lauren Winner in her book on Sabbath was like Mudhouse. Mudhouse Sabbath, yeah. Uh-huh. There it is. She said that the rabbits would, the rabbits, I believe they're actually called rabbis. But when there's a, a group of them, they sometimes, that's the plural for rabbis, it's actually rabbit. I don't know if you knew that or not. Anyway, huh. she said that the, ra- the rabbis would give bonus points if you had sex on the Sabbath. Yes. Do you give bonus points for that? Uh, uh, well, I, you know, I, um, in my household, I'm not, I don't give points for anything, but I, uh, nor, I don't have, I don't have the authority to do that, but I have, it is true, uh, that, you know, we have this sort of Puritan fear of the Sabbath, that the day of Sabbath is a day free of sensuality. And the truth is, um, the, the Jews actually had almost a sense of obligation around the Sabbath, that, that around the Sabbath, that was the day that you were to make love to the person that you, that you were married to. And Nancy Sleeth, who wrote this phenomenal book, uh, Almost Amish, she's a, a, a co-laborer with me. We do a lot of work together. She was raised in a Jewish home before becoming a Christian. And she describes r- remembering when she was a kid, her dad coming home on Friday night with a bouquet of flowers and a really big smile on his face because he knew that was the one day he was going to get lucky all week long. And I, it's kind of funny, but the truth is, I mean, the Sabbath is a gift for marriage. It is God's gift to marriage. It's the one day a week that we, we look uh, intentionally into the eyes of the one that we love and, and we give ourselves to them. And, you know, my son, it's funny, my son, we, my wife and I, we have a family thing that is on the Sabbath. He gets to watch a movie. And when he gets to watch the movie, mom and dad take a, a quote nap. It's nap time. Right. And I, it's kind of corny, right? Cause he knows it, oh, mom and dad are taking a nap and it's a, it's a glorious nap. Don't, don't get me wrong. It's the best nap of the week. But what I love is this. It's kind of funny, but I love that my son, he doesn't get it now. He doesn't know what the nap is all about. But I love in 20 years when he realizes what a nap is, I love that he will always remember that God's Sabbath was about his parents loving each other. And I can tell you that as a kid of divorced parents, I don't have many memories of of remembering a moment where I knew God was for my parents' marriage. I know he was now, but I don't remember moments where I, I sense God's advocacy for their marriage. And I love that in 20 years, my son will look fondly on the years of his parents taking a nap and he will remember that God's Sabbath rest was for his parents too. That's pretty good. Did you think about doing something with like, Hey, Ladies and gentlemen, if you want to have a better sex life, read this book because it'll make you feel like God is telling you to have sex on yeah. Friday or Saturday. I, I did. I did propose Sex Sabbath as a as a title, but they said Sex God had been taken, and they also just felt like it was it drew a little bit too much on the sex theme. Yeah. So okay. So unfortunately, they didn't they didn't go for it. Okay. Well, sorry about that. I could have been just sexed, sex Sabbath, and then the book would have just said, go take a rest, as you su- suggested. It, it could have been that, but we opted not to do that. My, my actual version was a little bit more colloquial. It was, hey, chill, guys. So Yeah. Netflix I, and chill, guys, for the Sabbath. There you go. Are we, are we allowed to Netflix on the Sabbath? Yeah. Well, uh, 
uh, I, I'll tell you what my family does. So we watch, basically, we, we get a movie in on the Sabbath, and we do, we do, we get to, to have a movie, and, and I'm, I'm great with that. What, what I don't like, I, I was sharing with a group of students recently about the Sabbath, and millennials, uh, you know, it's millennials, and I don't want to just caricature millennials. I, the response that I got in the room when I talked about the Sabbath was awesome. There's a day that I can binge watch Game of Thrones. And my response to that was, well, you, you got to do the Sabbath, but you've also got to take into account like the other stuff in the Bible too. And there's a lot of other stuff in the Bible too about like putting good things in your mind and whatever's good, good and holy and righteous, hey, it's good to put these things in your mind. So the Sabbath should never be a day where we baptize our selfishness into the kingdom of God and just say like, I get to do whatever I want. But th- th- there's deep importance for relaxation. And, you know, we do spend probably too much time in front of screens. And I, I would suggest that it's good to have a day where you're generally speaking screen free. Uh, Andy Crouch has done a great job in, in, in talking about that. But there's there's no biblical command that I can lean on that says that we have to turn our TVs off. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you talk about one of the important things for Sabbathing is the ability to say no. And you make an observation that the root of uh, slot, or wait, the root of busyness is the sin of sloth. Now, I've heard my friend Jonathan Stormont say that. Yes. But he doesn't ever credit you as being the source in which he got that from. Do you think he should, one, and two, how do you think sloth and... Uh, mm-hmm goes together with busyness. Yeah, number one, Jonathan steals a lot of my stuff, and I think it would be nice if I got a little credit. But I need to give credit where credit's due, and it's in the footnotes. Uh, I got that idea from Eugene Peterson. He wrote an article a number of years ago in which he says that all slothfulness is, at the end of the day, the sin of laziness, not the sin of busyness. Um, and Or busyness, forgive me, busyness is the sin of slothfulness. And his point is, is that whenever we are busy, it is because we have not done the hard work of having intentionality of being able to say no. And it's a sense of laziness. Hmm. And I, I believe wholeheartedly that it, that it is a, a laziness of spirit to not be able to have boundaries. I'm going to make an observation here. I, I've been keeping a Sabbath for 10 years and I have a number of friends in our church and in our community that keep a Sabbath as well. And I have observed that my friends who do not keep a Sabbath are not, always the most emotionally healthy people in the world. And those that keep a Sabbath tend to be much more emotionally healthy. And I think there is something about the Sabbath that forces us to learn the art of saying no. And a Sabbath friend is a, is, can be the best friend because a Sabbath friend knows how to respect your nose. And if you know somebody doesn't keep a Sabbath, um, they have no reason to respect your nose. And then that creates resentment and expectations that I think are unfair. So I, one of the greatest things we can do for our friendships is teach people that saying no is okay. You talk about the ability to let people down at the rate they can handle it. Sabbath keepers have to do that. That is what Sabbath keeping is. It is, it is letting people down at a rate they can handle. That's, that's basically how I would describe my 10-year friendship with Jonathan Stormont. Just <laughs> yeah. let down pace I can handle. Yep. The... When you made the statement that people who keep Sabbath are typically healthier, that's not a uh, that's not a reflection of Sabbath changing their life on its own, but it's also a reflection of their ability to organize and be responsible and prepared 
Is that what you're saying? Like, it, it's not an either or. It's yes. kind of a. The, the Sabbath is affective and effective. It, in, in the sense that it, it actually affects us, but it requires a heart affect to make the decision to keep a Sabbath. So, yes, it requires a sense of maturity to do it. And then once we do it, it reciprocally blesses us back and makes us even more mature. So I think it's a dual function. Uh, it's, it's like preaching a sermon, right? Like I love preaching week in and week out because when you preach the Bible, it forces you to get into the Bible. There's an old saying, uh, if you chop your own wood, you warm yourself twice. And that is that you chop, you, you warm yourself by chopping the wood and you warm yourself by lighting the fire. And the Sabbath is the same. It requires maturity to start doing it and it, and it makes you more mature once you have done it. Well, first of all, that is a very Portlandy metaphor. So thank you for sharing it with me. It's a um, woodsman metaphor. Yeah, but that's basically like you have chickens in your backyard. You probably cut wood for fun. I get it. Like I, I, I'm yep. saying I appreciate the metaphor. There's some of us who say, um, well, I'm going to sleep when I'm dead. And stuff like, uh, there's a guy at, uh, at a church once who came up to me after a sermon on Sabbath, and he goes, well, you know, the devil never takes a day off, so I'm not going to either. Yes. And of course, the response is, well, then you're going to become like the devil if you don't take a day off. But some of yes. us have this attitude of, "Yes, hey, I can sleep when I'm dead. I've got a lot of stuff to do. Why? Like, why am I just going to be lazy for a day? Yeah, the, the very fact, I mean, you bring up two cliches that, that I, I run into quite often. And both of those cliches, I should, I should say to you, are not inerrant. And they're not found in the Bible anywhere. Um, you know, I'll, I'll rest when I get to heaven. Well, no, the answer is you'll get there faster if you don't rest. Um, you know, can you smoke and be a Christian? And can you smoke and go to heaven? Yeah, you can smoke and go to heaven. You'll just get there faster. Um, and in terms of the devil, you know, at what point... When somebody says, uh, I'll, I'll take a day of rest, I, I don't need to take a day of rest because the devil never takes a rest. At what point did we start basing our discipleship models on what the devil is doing today? Like, let's, let's figure out what he's doing and then do that. I mean, at the end of the day, that's why he's the devil. I mean, he's exhausted. I mean, the guy's taken a rest for a long, long time. Hell will be a place with no rest. No wonder he's so grumpy. In fact, the only, if you look at Jesus, God, and the Bible, God is never described once as being busy. Uh, the only spiritual entity in the entire Bible that is ever described as being busy is the devil. In Job 1, when the devil comes to Jesus, or comes to the Father, uh, and the Father says, uh, to the devil, where have you been? And he says, I've been running to and fro throughout the earth. I mean, the busyness is a demonic characteristic. It is not a godly characteristic. God is never busy because, nor late, because you can't be late or busy when you've created time. Uh, it's yours. But, but um, some of us feel like that's like unrealistic. Like our, our schedules, we've got kids who have stuff going on. We've got work. I, we think, I think working seven days a week is unrealistic. What do you mean? Like... I, think has, working, I have X amount of work to get done. I can't get it done in five days. What else do I have to do? It is unrealistic to work for seven days a week. And at the end of the day, a seven day work week where we are working all the time, that has quite a few victims. There are victims in that system. I'll tell you what that looks like uh, for a pastor who works seven days a week is when a pastor works seven days a week. And I know plenty of them who do. It requires that you sacrifice a lot. More often than not, you sacrifice your kids. And you put your kids on the altar, and, yep. and you burn them up for ministry. And we, we say, as a church, we say we don't believe in child sacrifice. Um, but we do. 
and and our, I think statistics would point that there's a whole generation of PKs out there who hate the church because they perceive the church as being a place that sold their mom and their dad. Um, I think working seven days a week is unrealistic. And there will be people that pay a really heavy price for somebody who works seven days a week. Interesting to note, millennials, uh, in terms of work hours, millennials do work a lot less uh, than boomers, uh, often their parents. And uh, boomers... Uh, I, I had a guy, Boomer, come up to me after I preached at a millennial youth camp, and I talked about the Sabbath, and he was flaming mad because he said, the last thing I think millennials need to hear is that they need to rest more. And I said to him, I said, well, the problem, here's the deal. The reason they, the reason they don't work as much is because you work seven days a week, and millennials are going to work way less because they saw what it did to you, and they don't want anything to do with it. Mm-hmm. So there's a balance. People come up to you. I'm assuming you've been uh, talking about this for a while now. You're doing it now in Kentucky, and right, you've been doing this, the Sabbath. Well, talk, I, right? I, 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 well, the Sabbath talk. I've got, I've got many Sabbath talks, but I have been talking about the Sabbath for the last couple of years. Okay. Uh, I've been writing the book for three, been Sabbathing for ten, and been talking about it for a long time. Yeah. Okay, so you've been talking about it for years. I'm assuming if you've taken this stuff and delivered it at different settings, you've probably come up with the main two or three responses people have after the talk. Yes. Fair? Yep. Okay, yep. so let, let's hear them. Okay. Well, number one, the number one response I get is, uh, uh, when I talk about the Sabbath, the number one response I get is, what, am I, what do I do on the Sabbath? Mm-hmm. And that is a quintessential American question. We cannot even think about a day of rest without considering what we're going to be doing in it. Uh, we frame rest around doing rather than doing around rest. The second thing that I hear Hold on, hold, on. Uh, is, hold on, hold on. Let's say this one for a second. But that's a genuine, like, it, I wake up in the morning, it's Sabbath day, I, I know I'm going to put my kids in front of Netflix for mommy and daddy rest time, but there's, there's still other hours in the day. What am I going to do with those other hours? Well, first, mommy and daddy rest time is a very weird, weird, weird way to describe that. Well, um, <laughs> secondly, I, I would, I would be, I would be more than happy uh, after I'm done answering this question to give you a suggestion about what the Sabbath could look like. Um, so let me let me come back to that. So okay. the second thing I hear is a deep seated fear of some kind of legalism that Sabbath keeping will bring up, um, which is a legitimate concern because at the end of the day. A lot of people are afraid that if, if I have to keep a Sabbath, that means I can't eat bacon and stuff like that. And the truth is that I eat way too much bacon for anybody to say that I'm a legalist and I'm not attempting to bring back some Judaic law in any way, shape, or form. Now, I do find it funny that of the commandments, if, I, if we bring up the Sabbath and somebody goes, I, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be legalistic. We would never do that to any of the other commandments. Like nobody's ever been like, I don't want to get too legalistic about the whole murder thing. Like, don't, you know, like you get, that's the only one that we look at and we don't want to get legalistic about. Um, Fair enough. You, when you look at the Bible, the gospel, the story of Jesus, the gospel of God's grace in Jesus, the first image in the Bible that portrays the gospel of Jesus is the Sabbath. And here's how I say that. God made Adam and Eve on day six, and day seven was a day of rest. And we should not skip too past, too fast, too past, fast past that. We need to recognize that for Adam and Eve, their very first day of existence was a day of rest. 
And to me, when I think about the gospel of Jesus, that is precisely what the gospel is. We are never called to work out our life, repent of everything, stop sinning, go to church, do everything we need to do. And then we get to rest in Jesus. That is not good news. That is fake good news. Good news is that we first rest in Jesus and out of resting in Jesus, that's why we get our work done. Okay. That's good. You have a thing about the, um, if, if the Jews forgot the Sabbath, they would really be forgetting their identity. So yes. identity is tied up into Sabbath. Yes. Okay. In, 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 in World War II, there, there was um, one of the things that in, in history, there have been obviously many times when the Jews and the Sabbath have been challenged. And in World War II, uh, the Nazi soldiers figured something out about the Jews, and that was if they could disrupt the Jewish Sabbath, then they could easily discourage and break the spirits of the Jews in the concentration camp. I was reading once a journal of a Nazi who was talking about the Sabbath because the Jews did everything they could do to keep a Sabbath in the concentration camps. And there's this line of, of a Nazi who essentially says, uh, we do everything we can do to keep the Jews from their Sabbath because if the, the Jews keep their Sabbath, it's always like they get their spirits back. Wow. And I, I think that the devil um, loves it when we do not have a day to find our identity in Jesus once again. Mm. Um, so, That's yes, it is about identity. It's about being reminded who we are. Because we are God's people, and we are not the people of this world. Yeah, that's good. They, yeah, they. Rem- How often are you finding yourself uh, reading journals of Nazis these days? Too often. Okay. The uh, other question: uh, Give me the schedule for the day. For Sabbath what does to- a Sabbath look like? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Well, in the book uh, Subversive Sabbath, in the book. Uh, I lay out a full day, what we do. Okay, so I, I AJ Swoboda, the author of <laughs> Subversive Sabbath, The Surprising Power of Rest in a Nonstop World by Brazos Press. Okay, go on. Um, I'll tell you the three most important things for me and my family. These are the three most important things that we do. The number one thing that we do is we always eat pancakes on the morning of the Sabbath. Always. We do not have a Sabbath without pancakes. And the reason we do it, my little six-year-old boy knows every week that is, that's what we're going to do. And the reason we do it is the Jew, there, there's this old Jewish tradition that on the morning of the Sabbath, a father was to get up early and get a spoon of honey for every child in the family. And the reason that they would do it is so that the children would never forget the sweetness of God's rest. And we do not do, we don't, we don't do honey. We do maple syrup. And the goal is that in, you know, 50 years when dad is dead and gone, if anybody even says the word Sabbath around my son, I just start to drool. That's the goal. Mm. So number one is pancakes. You need something that includes fat, sugar, and something that's delightful. Because the book, the Bible calls Sabbath delight. Number one is something delightful. Delightful and diabetes. That sounds great. Okay, got it. Yeah. (laughs) Number two, um, there's something critical about being with the people that you love. And that is not exhaustively true just, just for married people. I have a, a, a large portion of the book where I deal with um, individuals that are single or widowed or divorced because the Sabbath can be interpreted as a really depressing day if, if it's just to be a day where you're supposed to be by yourself. And I think that the Sabbath needs to be a day that we are freed up 
to enter into the relationships with the people that God has given to us and to love those people. In the Garden of Eden, the first Sabbath was God, Adam, and Eve together hanging out in the garden. And I think that God loves it when his people hang out together. Every time Jesus kept the Sabbath, uh, he always is in the synagogue. So number two, be around the people that you love. And I think number three, most important thing that we can actually do to create an environment of rest is we need one day a week where we intentionally turn our phones off. And that is a really hard thing to do. And the people who invented this, this, these iPhones have done everything to make us feel horrible for turning them off. So much so that when we turn our iPhones off, it flashes a little apple with a bite taken out of it for like five seconds as though you're back in the Garden of Eden or something and you've been eating from the tree of knowledge mm-hmm. of good and evil. But um, we need to turn our phone off. Because our phones are the engine of distraction. Uh, there's a line in the Old Testament that says, you have no room in your, your, your minds for God. And we need a day where our minds can be filled up with the glory and grandeur of our Creator, who loves us, sustains us, and died for us. Okay, so I wake up in the morning. I get pancakes. Pancakes. The phone off. Phone off. Phone off. Maybe the night pancakes. before. Pancakes. Uh-huh. Time with my family. And then the rest, yeah. can I just uh, freestyle and kind of do whatever I want? Not too much yeah. technology, not too much uh, screen time with the, t- the old Here's TV. the deal. You and I and anybody else who listens to this remarkable program mm-hmm. on AM radio, anybody that listens to this um, that has believed in Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit. And at the end of the day, uh, the spirit of rest lands on us. The spirit rests on us so that we can rest. And the Spirit of God is really good at convicting us of sin. And here's what I'd say. Don't set a bunch of rules up. Let the Spirit of Jesus speak to you. Mm -hmm. And let the Spirit of Jesus convict you. And if you start doing work and the Spirit tells you, then stop doing it. If you start doing something you shouldn't be doing on the Sabbath, the Spirit will tell you. What? Okay, so So I think you need to trust the Holy Spirit. So Friday, I do my best to keep it holy. To not be productive in terms of traditionally what I've been productive Sunday through Thursday. Mm-hmm. And there are, okay, so that's mine. Now, my daughter goes to church on Sunday. So that's mm-hmm. church day Sunday. Now, Saturday, if we want to do a family Sabbath, she would not be able to do gymnastics because she has mm-hmm. gymnastics competitions that show up every once in a while on Saturday. Do you find yourself saying our kids can't be involved in activities on Saturday because that's our Sabbath? Or do you have a... Uh, and understand that that's okay. There has never been in the history of the world outside of the first one, there has never been a perfect Sabbath. The, the only perfect Sabbath that has ever happened was in Genesis 1 when God created the world. And the only other perfect Sabbath that will ever happen again, Hebrews 4 tells us, will be heaven. In between that first Sabbath and the last one, there's a lot of imperfect Sabbaths. And I think the goal shouldn't be to have a perfect Sabbath, it should be to try to enter in. That's actually the best thing you've said all day. That's really good. Mm. Like it doesn't have to be a perfect mm. Sabbath. Not only that it can't, it doesn't have to be, it won't be a perfect Sabbath. Mm-hmm. And do, the only perfect Sabbath we have is in Jesus in glory. And when heavens and earth, then that will be a perfect Sabbath. And so you've moved past the sense of, oh, I'm not doing this good enough. It's not going to be perfect. And I'm at peace with that. I can savor in what it is. 
Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, and that means he is the Lord of the day. He, by the way, Mark's gospel says that Jesus is not only the Lord of the Sabbath, but he's also the Lord of the harvest. And the implication is that Jesus is the Lord of our work and the Lord of our rest. And if I'm spending my day feeling cruddy about my day of rest because I'm failing to do it, that's another kind of work, and it's called shame. And shame is work. So at the end of the day, if we're feeling shame, we're working. Mm -hmm. Be at peace. The Sabbath is not God's new slavery. Yes. Be at peace. That's good. AJ. Yeah, that's really good. Who did you get that from? I'm trying to source that one. Is that you? Is that an AJ Swoboda no, maybe original? That may be a me, a me wow. one. Wow. That's why you're the author of this new book, Subversive Sabbath. Subversive Sabbath. AJ, let me ask you a question. Subversive Sabbath. Subversive Sabbath. What did I say? Sub- no, I just want to keep saying subversive Sabbath. Submarine Sabbath. Submarine <laughs> sabbaticals. AJ, do you have any questions you'd like to ask me now? Is there anything you need me to answer for you? Yeah, I mean, when you think about the Sabbath, and you think about your listeners and the people that you know that listen to this fine AM radio program, that, that is not AM radio, but... It's, it's, t- uh, my question, my question for you would be, what do you think are the things that, uh, your listeners struggle with when it comes to the Sabbath? Just did a series in January on technology and the interaction I've had over that subject matter has been, uh, quite enlightening for the way that technology has always, that technology seems to make people always on and always accessible to things that they don't always need to be uh, accessed by. And so I think the awareness of turning the phone off for a day or some form and fashion of that, um, mm-hmm. I think that's really helpful. And mm-hmm. I think... What would, what would be your greatest argument against the Sabbath theologically? I don't have an argument against the Sabbath. I'm, I'm, oh, you don't. I'm for the Sabbath. Like I'm, I do you my best to keep Fridays pretty holy and uh, to stay away from work and be present. <clears throat> to Can I tell you my biggest problem with the Sabbath? This is my biggest problem with the Sabbath. Is this going to prevent people from like buying your book? Because if so, I wouldn't say it. No. I'll, They're going to still buy no, it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, no, hopefully it makes them buy it because I have a whole section on it. But my biggest problem with the Sabbath is what about the poor? Oh, yeah, yeah. And what about the people that don't have... Uh, uh, like, you know, someone could say that the Sabbath is a point of privilege, that it's something that yeah. we get if we have an, and, and at the end of the day, if a single mother of eight comes to me and either has a choice to take a couple hours to rest or feed their children, she is, I'm, I don't think that God is going to look her in the face and say, give up your child for the sake of taking a day of rest. It does create a lot of problems. Um, and I, I think that that question, the poor and the Sabbath needs to be a really critical question for the church. Uh, I love, and I have all sorts of feelings about these organizations, but I I, I look at Hobby Lobby and Chick-fil-A and I give them all the credit in the world because they lose billions of dollars to to close on Sundays to give people a day off. And we, we, there should be a price tag. We should make less money for the poor so that they can have a day of rest. Yeah. Yeah, I I think I saw something that uh, maybe it was 2015, Chick-fil-A did $6 billion in business. And it would be no stretch of the imagination to go, you've literally given up $1 billion for that. And I think that's fair. It costs you something. And did you, I found myself as I was uh, finished up my first book, um, working on Sabbath because I wanted, oh, I want to get a little bit farther ahead. I want to get a little more done. Did you find yourself being extremely hypocritical and being tempted to work on your book 
about the Sabbath on the Sabbath? Yeah, I mean, this book, I, it's, I, I joke in the introduction, but I almost burned out writing about the Sabbath. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it almost it almost killed me. And by God's grace, I'm done. I, I, I'm not going to... Uh, and there, there were many Sabbaths that I was tempted to break the Sabbath to write about the Sabbath. Um, yeah, yeah, no, totally. Yeah, that's an ongoing temptation. And uh, uh, the, the truth of the matter is I approached this conversation about the Sabbath uh, not as a scholar, but as a person who's trying to do it. And I stink out of that most of the time, mm-hmm. but uh, we got to start talking about it because dude, there are people burning out and our culture is exhausted and needs this so badly. Mm-hmm. Amen. I think it's good. Do you think that we should enforce some sort of like stoning to people who don't Sabbath like they did in the old Testament? I addressed that in chapter 10, uh, and uh, ultimately my argument is that that is not a helpful approach for creating I want to be careful. I know that you're from Portland, but when I was talking about stoning, I was referring to like literally throwing rocks at people. I don't know if you interpret that in a different way. Oh, interesting. Yeah, didn't know. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, it's an interesting. You're welcome. AJ? Slight. It's not a slight. It was just a clarification. I think the most important thing about communication is that it's direct, and that's what I was trying to be. I don't like to. Well, that was. I don't want to tell all truth on a slant. Sorry, Dickens, you're on your own. Um, AJ, it's a pleasure as always. How long are you going to be sarcastic after this this podcast? Uh, probably a couple of days. In all truth, uh, Luke, you you do a good. This this is a great podcast, and you serve a lot of people, and it. it's an honor to get to be part of your show. And I know we're sarcastic, funny here, but you do really good work, and we're thankful for the work that oh. you do. That's a genuine moment between us right here. AJ. Don't, don't take it too seriously. Let's move on. I won't. AJ, congratulations on the book. Well done. Thanks. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for checking out Newsworthy with Norsworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned. <laughs>